0: Jesus said to the disciples, For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave, You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For all those who have, more will be given, and they will have in abundance." But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In the book Little Flowers of St. Francis there are some delightful tales of the exploits of Brother Juniper that illustrate this Franciscan monk's exasperating generosity. He continually gave away parts of his clothing any time he met a poor person with little or nothing to wear. And finally, this got to be just too much. So, his superior at the abbey forbid him to give away his clothing anymore. Well, soon after that command was given, uh, Brother Juniper met another man who was poor and ill clothed. Desiring to obey his superior, he said to the man, that he could not give him his tunic. However, he said, if you were to take it off my back, I would not stop you. (laughs) The poor man proceeded to do so. And in time, it is reported, the other friars stopped leaving any of their belongings lying around the monastery for fear that Brother Juniper would give them away. Well, this little story of Juniper is the prologue, okay? Now we're going to move to the parable. A <clears throat> frequent interpretation of this parable is that we should make the most of the gifts God has given us in God's service. Thus, the two slaves who doubled their master's money were rewarded, and the one who buried his in the ground was condemned. Other interpreters have suggested that the master's return after a long time away is a warning to the members of the early church that despite the long wait, Jesus will indeed return and, as with the master in the parable, call his disciples to account for their stewardship of their gifts. In both interpretations, the master is either a reference to God or perhaps to Christ. Now, before I go on, let me be clear. God has given us many good gifts, and each of us is called to make the best use possible of those gifts. This is certainly true. We should all heed such encouragements. But however good that advice and practice is, I propose that it is not what the parable is about. First of all, the talents in question are money, not talents like good singing voices. America has talent, you know, or leadership skills or the capacity to motivate people. The master in question wants his servants to make money for him, not for the community, not for the church, but for him. The hapless third slave who buried his money calls him out as a harsh master who reaps where he does not sow and gathers where he does not scatter any seed. And the master agrees with him. He agrees with him. You know I was that kind of man. You should have played along and at least taken the money to the bankers, who at the time, according to Roman records, would have paid a whopping 12% interest. On the other hand, the other two slaves, who were more aggressive, made 100% profit for calling out the master and for refusing to participate in the money-making scheme this third slave is condemned. And apparently, this fit with the master's philosophy. To whom much, to to those who have much, more will be given, and to those who have little, it will be taken away. All right, what's going on here? How does this square with Jesus' teaching in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. These are virtues of grace and humility, not aggressive acquisitiveness. Or how about this from further in the Sermon on the Mount? Do not store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. And this too, no one can serve two masters For the slave will either hate the one or love the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. One thinks also of Jesus' advice to the rich young ruler who who bragged of keeping all the commandments and asked what he needed to do to be saved, and Jesus said, get rid of all your possessions, give them to the poor, and follow me. Is the master in the parable a good picture of God or of Jesus? He's greedy, vindictive, and a tyrant. I think not. But he is a good picture of the ruling elites of first century Palestine. Now, just as an aside, by the way, I wrote about this uh, subject in a book called Greed which I must say did not make near as much money as I had hoped. (sighs) All right. Just wanted to see if you were paying attention. (sighs) All right. Back to the parable. As I said I don't think the master in the parable is a good picture of God. But he is a good picture of the ruling elites in first century Palestine. There were two features to the economic scene in that time and place. First, the ruling elites held the bulk of the wealth and the the most of the agricultural lands. The lands were farmed by tenants who were at the mercy of their masters who reaped profits, huge profits, where they did not sow and gathered lands to their possession where they themselves had spread no seed. Secondly, it functioned as a limited good society. There was only so much power to go around and only so much wealth to go around. Therefore, if someone had more wealth than their share, others would surely, would automatically have less. And those who held the power controlled the wealth. And those with little power or wealth were helpless to better themselves unless they were granted the opportunity by the master, as in the parable, as in the case of the first two slaves, who were probably part of the master's household. When we place the parable in this social world of the first century Palestine, we can see Jesus' indictment of the greedy and powerful coming into focus. The unlikely hero, then, is the servant who refuses to comply with the master's scheme and calls him out for what he is. His fate is the fate of those who did not adhere to the dictates of the powerful, as Jesus himself did not. The judgment of the parable is finally not on the one who buried his talent, but on the elites of the day who tyrannized and subjugated the poor. Well, how then does this understanding of the parable speak to us? Our economic situation is very different from that day and time. We believe that there is limitless opportunity for all and freedom to pursue it. And this is technically true, even though it does not always work that way for everyone. But there is one lesson, it seems, to carry over well from the parable to the present despite our different worlds. Even though our culture tells us that there are no limits to wealth and we are all free to pursue it as much as we want, for Christians, the limits of our freedom to prosper are set by the needs of our neighbors. The Bible does not condemn wealth, it condemns the failure to share it, and it exhorts us all to generosity in spirit and in practice. This is the message of Jesus' parable of the rich fool who had had a great harvest, but instead of giving access of his surplus to the community, he built bigger barns for himself. And then he threw himself a party, confident that things would be fine for him in the very distant future. But God said, you fool, this night your soul will be demanded of you. His good fortune was not the problem. It was his selfishness. So we can say that the parable is about good stewardship of our gifts after all, but from the vantage point of an unlikely hero, a prophetic voice against greed and exploitation, he may be likened to the prophets of old who were beaten and killed for speaking God's truth to power. Now what then shall we do? If generosity is the governing principle of our stewardship of gifts, how generous is generous? There is, of course, the biblical principle of the tithe. And then there is, once again, the challenge of Jesus' confrontation with the rich young man who, having claimed to have kept all the commandments was told by Jesus to get rid of his possessions and follow him. Is this the norm for generosity in Jesus' eyes? To take it literally seems absurd. It is the norm for Brother Juniper, however. He gave away everything he had, even things that didn't belong to him. On the other hand, We can try to explain it away as though Jesus didn't really mean what he said literally. He was exaggerating in order to expose the young man's holier-than-thou pride. However, doing that means we avoid the radical challenge of what Jesus actually said. In the final analysis, The generosity of our own stewardship of gifts is an ongoing process of decision, trusting in the guidance of the Holy Spirit. There are no pat answers. It will require discernment and courage, the courage of the third slave in the face of our economic realities and in consideration of our responsibilities as Christian citizens in matters of economic justice. The life of faith is like that, decision and risk. Furthermore, it is very easy to take pride in our own generosity. So our generosity needs to avoid the sort of pride we saw in the rich young man. And this is where Brother Juniper comes in again as helpful, however quaint a character he was. In him there was not a whiff not a whiff of prideful self-satisfaction, because his gaze was always on the needs of others, never on his own goodness for giving to those needs. And so it was for the Christ, who emptied himself of all divine power in order to give all of himself to us. Finally, discerning our path of generosity and then taking it will require grace for the journey. But whatever else you have in this life, whether it is little or much, you are rich, very rich in grace. Thanks be to God. Amen.